Welcome to Frontline Nursing, a NurseMinder production that gives you an insider's look into the daily life of nursing from those who are working on the front lines. Whether you're considering nursing as a profession, you're a student studying nursing, or maybe a nurse in transition looking for a new career path, this will give you some behind the scenes information to help you guide your career. Today's episode is all about working in a variety of healthcare disciplines in acute care settings. So get those note apps, pens and papers ready because it's gonna be another good one. Today on Frontline Nursing, we are joined by Huma Khan, an LPN who works in a variety of areas such as thoracics, women's health, vascular and general surgery. Welcome to the show, Huma. Hi, Tammy. Hi. So let's just get started. I always kind of like to get background information about what brought you to nursing in the first place. Sure. Um, I actually had quite an extensive family history of illnesses. So I was in and out of the hospital quite often with my families. And this was back home in Pakistan. So of course, nursing is a bit different. Um, and then uh, when I was in high school, I got to do a little shadow shadowing day with uh, when they came to our school to introduce nursing and such and they had discussed the LPN to RN path because at that point I wasn't sure if I wanted to be um, to do four years of schooling so this recommended some of the girls recommended doing the LPN program and uh, so in that way I can transition into the RN role if I wanted to later on which is as you know I'm currently doing yeah. Um, but yeah and I got to volunteer at the hospital so I really liked the interactions um, I was uh, volunteering in the ER at the Northeast Community Health Center and um, at the Alex as well and I really loved the elderly population I got to interact with patients kind of get to know them a little bit more um, hear their stories so it was just nice to see that and then just with my own family experiences I saw good nurses I saw bad nurses um, and it kind of drove me towards uh, becoming an, a nurse so did you have any experience with nursing in Pakistan or was it when you came to Canada that you first had that exposure? I was just so as a, um, when I was younger, I was in and out of the hospital with my family back home in Pakistan. So never really in, uh, um, in Canada per se, but I did, you know, the opportunity kind of popped up and my dad had even mentioned like, oh, you know, you could always go into nursing, something that you always want to do. Um, I wanted to do something in the healthcare profession, but I wasn't sure it was between you know, going back and forth being a social worker or uh, a nurse, and in the end, I guess nursing won. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it certainly sounds like it won when I look at your resume so far. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. I think a lot of people come into nursing because they have been either personally touched or their family lives have been touched by healthcare, and they see the work that we do, and then they find that they're kind of drawn to that that profession of caring and helping and nurturing. For sure, because you can see the effect it has, you know, when you have a good nurse and certain things they say or teaching they provide makes a huge difference and kind of makes you see things a little bit nicer because docs come in once in a while, you know, let you know what's going on, but it's the nurses that you interact with on a regular basis, right? So that's what I really liked when I had my family experience being, a, being on the other end of it. And I wanted to do that for someone else. So, yeah. Now, did you get to shadow in the school? You said that was in high school? Yeah. And that kind of sparked a deeper interest for you in nursing when you got to do that? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily really shadowing. It was more so of kind of her walking me through what her day would be like. Because I'm sure a lot of people, you know, have the question, oh, is it kind of like what the movies show or what the TV shows, you know? 
so it was more so of that um, and then uh, one of my other friend was considering nursing as well so it was kind of nice to kind of go back and forth and our mom used to be a nurse as well so she brought that input as well and worked in the hospital so you know just all those things in combination um, was encouraging to go into nursing so yeah yeah and so what was your final verdict was it like the tvs you shows you saw no <laughs> 100% no. Nothing like it, right? No, definitely not. No, they showed the doctors doing everything that we do. That's the one thing I always tell my husband. Anytime we watch a TV show, I'm like, you see that doctor taking the blood <laughs> That's my job. Or the patient the getting up with the doctor. <laughs> I actually had a doctor who uh, had asked me, it was her mom who was hospitalized. And, uh, and this was in like a couple of years ago. And she asked me, she was like, hey, uh, I would help you how to get the, my mom up, but I have no idea. You teach me and I'll give you a hand. So at that moment, I was like, see, it's not Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> it's definitely not Grey's Anatomy. No, nope, definitely not. Yeah. So when you went into nursing school, did you have a particular um, specialty in mind when you started? And did that come to fruition at the end or did that change as you went through? I think I always knew I wanted to do something in acute care, but I wasn't really sure because I didn't have the exposure. And uh, um, because I did volunteer in the ER, I saw how fast paced it was and you got to see quite a few different things. So I, I did want to, and my aim still is to try and get into the emergency at any, at some point. Um, but I knew I wanted to stay in acute care, even just with uh, doing the courses and such. I knew I didn't want to do postpartum and I knew I didn't want to do medicine just acuity and uh, surgery it just it was intriguing and to know how different things kind of play into role and how and it's not just about you know fixing the now it's just going deeper you know you also have to consider the mental health aspect of it and why this thing could be affecting this thing type of thing right like lifestyle choices and how they can affect your recovery post-op and even your mindset as well so I think that's what was intriguing to me. Awesome. So let's dig into the surgery side of your experience. Sure. So we've got the vascular surgery. Yep. Um, I kind of forget what's on your resume now. I got to go back. There's so much there. <laughs> Thoracic. So that's also Thoracic. another surgery yeah. before. Okay. And then women's yeah. health. Is there any surgery in that one as well? Yeah, so in women's health, it's uh, oncology, so a lot of um, uh, gynae oncology, urology surgeries as well, and then of course the typical hysterectomies, oophorectomies, okay. elbendectomies, all those sorts of things, and then a little bit of general surgery because sometimes we have the total exonterations mm -hmm. that have um, colostomy, ileostomies, um, curved ileostomies, and all that stuff, right? Uh, ovectomies, things like that. So a little bit of surgery in that as well, um, but thoracics has just been pretty much I think the most acute I've had so far at this point I would say. Was thoracics? Um, yeah I think thoracics and acuity thoracics would definitely be I found the most challenging just because there's so many different things you need to consider and I think part of that is because you have to be so careful in what patients are eating how they're sitting how they're mobilizing what goes in which tube you know so all those little things play and you have to, that critical thinking, because anything, you know, your ABCs, and usually your A's are where it goes wrong with thoracics, right? So areas are always complicated. So You're right at the top of the food chain there. Exactly. So <laughs> when you think about it, I'm like, ABCs, I'm right at the top. So, yeah. And B is probably a close second, you know. Oh, for three. sure. For sure. Yeah, it's always yeah. A, B's, and then C, not so much. But at that point, you'd hope someone comes in and helps you. <laughs> Is thoracics the first place you started after school after you graduated? 
No, I actually had uh, been hired out of uh, preceptorship in women. So I had worked there for about three and a half years before um, I switched over to, I took a temp line on a thoracic unit. Okay. So mm-hmm. I want to go back then to your first, you know, if you go back to when you were a student, you're starting out um, as a new nurse, all those questions you had. I tend yeah. to begin with the new nurse questions, then we'll dig into the other stuff later. Sure. What were some of your biggest fears in being the nurse? I think uh, the biggest fear was time management for me and just not knowing the answer. I mean, I know you can always rely on your team to ask questions and stuff, but when you're the nurse, as you say, um, family members expect you to know the answers. Patients expect you to know the answers. If they have a question, they expect the answers right away, not for you to you know, have to go out and ask a nurse every five minutes, hey, what do I say in this situation? Or even just explaining certain things, explaining procedures, why, they could suffer some complication. It's not part of our role, but they do get asked those questions quite often because, you know, when surgeons are explaining, it comes in one year, goes out the other year because you're so anxious about surgery and such, right? So I think for me personally, that was the hardest part. And I knew I was going to have issues with time management and just figuring out, you know, where, okay, I need to take a break. These things can be pushed back or, you know, to next shift, things like pick line dressings or you know just a daily dressings right like they can always be pushed back so I think that's what was the what I found the hardest for me when I first started nursing um, and I think it definitely develops with time as well right yeah so be a little gentle on yourself yeah, exactly you that when you're the new nurse because you think you have all these responsibilities you need to prove your weight and that you're capable mm-hmm. well, yeah. it sounds like prioritization was one of the skills you use to kind of decrease the stress you have on your own self for time management Mm-hmm, for sure. Some of those dressings. Yeah. Are there any other t- um, tips you have for someone who's maybe struggling or, or worried about time management that you found helpful? For me personally, that's why I have the, my organization plans because I used to come in half an hour early before shift just to kind of get rid of the anxiety, get my assignment, write everything down, anticipate what I need to do for the shift. Um, this is before I even get reports, so I kind of know what we need to do, what the protocol is on the unit as well. Um, and my organization sheets, I write everything down. So for example, if I, anything's highlighted, it means it needs to be done on my shift. I have a sheet for ins and outs, so I know that I need to check this, this, and this at the end of the shift. So that just helped me stay organized. And then if I was really busy, I took a one look. I took one look at my organization sheet and was like, oh, okay, I need to do this type of thing. So I think you that- throw in the garbage and say, well. <laughs> Sometimes it happens. <laughs> Sometimes that's what happens, but yeah. when I had that sheet just to kind of refer back to, or if we had a, if a patient had a complication and, but you know, like I had my history, I had everything I had given them on my piece of paper that I've been carrying around all shift, it was very quick for me to kind of look back at and just kind of, hey, this is what I have given her, this is what happened, and then this is, you know, what changes occurred, right? So mm-hmm. I found that helped me quite a bit with my time management, and that's why you see such a variety in my organization sheets as well, just so I'm working less, right? Work smarter, not harder. And you work in a a lot of different places. Each place requires a different style of nursing or a different approach to nursing. Mm -hmm. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Um, I should have wrote down my question when it came through my mind because it's gone now. Um, I had a good one to ask you. We'll have to come back to it. Back to me. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) This happens almost every interview because I get so drawn into the conversation. I'm like, oh, I'll ask that later. And I never come back to it because I forget it. Oh, no. I know. We're talking about time management. Um, ah, It's gone. All right. We'll move forward then. 
What were some of your biggest struggles just in general, aside from time management, just in general as being a new nurse? I think it was the fear of doing wrong, mm-hmm. per se, because you were, I was always so anxious, triple checking everything, making sure you weren't doing the wrong, you know, you know, giving the wrong medication, taking the wrong step, taking it out of Foley that didn't have an order. And I feel like sometimes with uh, some older nurses, you do get that pushback. Oh, you can take the Foley out. I'll get a cover order. But that's not necessarily what they teach you in school. So, right. you know, there's always a bit of a, I always keep using these words always. There's sometimes is a disconnect between what you're taught in school and what the practice is on the floor. Exactly. And finding your voice to advocate for, well, this is the best practice today, which changes. Mm-hmm. For sure. Not not that the fault of the nurse on the floor has been working for 20 years. It's hard to keep up with all those changes and we rely on those new nurses coming in to keep us current. Yeah. Um, So that could definitely be an issue sometimes. Yeah. And I found that um, a sense of just having to prove myself even between because I do work different floors in postpartum as well. Um, So just kind of having to prove myself to the third floor staff because they didn't know me. And I was a student on second floor. So just kind of proving that you know what you're doing. You're capable of taking care of these patients. No one has to kind of um, watch out for you or follow you around type of thing, right? So I think that was some of the stuff that I struggled with. And I think you, and I've, I've continued to struggle with that in new positions as well. When I went on thoracics, I felt like I needed to prove myself, you know, for them to accept you in a sense. But I, I don't know if everyone, everyone else has those feelings, but, <laughs> but that's what I've found. Is some of that coming from just your internal worries and fears or are you getting messages and feedback from nurses that you're not accepted until? I think it's just um, because everyone has a grip. Everyone has people that they're close to when you work for a certain period of time. And it's really hard to kind of be the new person on the unit. You don't know everyone else. Everyone else has to know one person, whereas you need to know everyone like 10 12 different nurses right and I think part of that was just my own anxiety and being in a new place and it's a different building policies are different right so definitely I think it's more internal than external and I never really received any feedback from other staff and um, they would always question me I had lots of them had say oh how long have you been on the unit and I would say oh like two months oh I would have never guessed type of thing right so I think it's just more so internal than anything else but I think that's just it is what it is. <laughs> and I think that's a real common worry and concern that people have, especially when you've gone to so many different floors and you've transitioned mm-hmm. a few times. It's, it, you know, it comes to the forefront more often than someone who stays on the same unit for their whole career. Exactly. I mean, definitely yeah. women's is definitely more comfortable for me. Like I can go back, pick up after four or five months and I'm more comfortable there. And it's just... It is what it is. That's just a comfort, right? And that's why I wanted to leave and try something else because I didn't want to get too comfortable to the point where then I couldn't leave right yeah yeah um do you still go in 30 minutes early to get your um, information out or have you adapted and you've gotten a little bit more comfortable with the process I sometimes depending on what I know like if I've been there the day before and I know I'm gonna have the same assignment the next day I won't necessarily go in very early I'll maybe go in like 15 minutes early so then I'm not rushing to grab everything and not holding up the next shift I don't necessarily go in half an hour early I don't remember the last time I did that Um, but it's just if I've been off for a couple of weeks I don't really know the patient or you know if it's been a quite you know quite a few days then I'll try and get there about 20 minutes early just so I can have the assignment sign in you know go into vax and trying to remember Vax as well is another story. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to ask that question because I think 
it's important for our listeners to know that when you start, yeah, you're going to do some things that modify from what other practices. So I used to go in 30 minutes early as well because I needed to write everything down. Yeah. But as you become more comfortable in your area, you know the things that you need to write down, the things you don't need to write down. And you can start exactly. to thin your own sheet out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's why I have the sheets as well. So then that way, when as I'm getting report, I'm writing my stuff down rather than going in half an hour early, writing everything down when the nurse is going to basically tell me the same thing and report anyway right but it's just when I was new I wanted that reassurance that I had everything that I needed to for the shift to start off on a good note yeah mm-hmm. so in women's what was the typical population I can't remember if we covered all of that you did talk about postpartum yes gynae surgery so what would be some of the common things you would see on those floors in terms of diagnosis treatments so a lot of uh, hysterectomies of course uh, oophorectomies, hysterectomies, um, DNCs after miscarriages quite often, um, even those who've lost uh, pregnancies, ectopic pregnancies, so lots of procedures for that. Um, even sometimes we'll get patients from other units for biopsies, cervical biopsies that they can come and get it done in our assessment room, um, and then oncology as well. So even if um, if it's ovarian cancer, anything like that, uterine, cervical, anything like that, uh, complications, so small bowel obstructions, um, end-of-life care as well. So sometimes we've had a couple of cases, I believe, of um, medical-assisted in-death as well on the unit. Um, so lots of different variety, and we'll get patients from cross-cancer as well if they're under our oncologist. So a bit of that as well. What I hear in every one of those diagnoses is a lot of emotional needs as well. So it sounds Mm -hmm. like not only are you task focused, you've got the surgical piece and the care activities you need to do in a day, but that with most of these patient population that there's probably a significant amount of emotional care that you're providing to them as well. Would that be fair? Yeah, for sure. And what kind of um, strategies or um, like how have you adapted to that? that role in nursing you know in school we don't really talk about that a lot we don't really get into that a lot and then you found yourself working in places where their bodies are being um, changed and modified or they've lost something and that sense of their own self-esteem and worth how do you deal with those I think part of it does come with experience just knowing your patient as well I've had patients who don't want to talk about the diagnosis or I've had patients that all they want to talk about is the diagnosis you want to sit down with them you know um, even the nonverbals. like I had mentioned to my preceptor as well some of the nonverbals. I noticed uh, one of the patient had told me oh when nurses stand with their arms crossed in front of me or over me I feel powerless so I keep that in the back of my mind I always make sure I sit beside them or kneel and then we're at eye level and I speak softly I give them time to kind of um, you know get their thoughts together I always make sure I think the power of touch you don't realize it until you've been in that situation where that's all they're craving you know I've had patients who don't have any family members or refuse to have family members come in and they kind of you are their family at that point because they stay with us for months and months and months right so I think part of it is just knowing your patients Um, I always go in you know avoiding you know the making jokes and stuff like that until I can see with the patient where they're at as well and I think part of that is part of it is just kind of debriefing as well like I've always tried and debriefed with other and I've cried with patients like I'll step out of the room if I need to cry I'll cry I mean I don't want to be to the point where they're going to have to take care of me but um, I've shed some tears with patients and I think that just shows that you're human as well you're affected by what they're going through so I think I think it's just 
based with uh, my experience, just with time as well. It's not something that, for sure, when I first started, I was more concerned having those patients because I didn't know how I could interact with them, what to say. I never wanted to say the wrong thing. But I think if you apologize and just are mindful of what's going on, how they are, just keep in mind um, it's about them, it's not about you. I think that really helped me in the end. And I know definitely in our North American culture, we don't talk about feelings a lot. Um, so I don't know if there was a difference with your, I don't know how much you're rooted in the Pakistan history and your culture there, as if there was a disconnect with those two pieces or if it just was a natural, they kind of have the same, you know, I'm trying to say. <laughs> no, I don't about feelings any more or less than we do here in the North American culture. Yeah, I think you do bring up a good point because uh, back home in Pakistan with abortions and stuff like that, nobody even says the word abortion. And I can definitely see that in the clientele as well. We've had some patients that don't want to see baby, don't want to hold baby, absolutely nothing as if nothing happened type of thing. And I do understand where they're coming from, from that cultural aspect. And we don't really talk about death we you know just um being more yes we know death is approaching but nobody ever wants to talk about it or we, yeah. yeah exactly right it's almost as if if you say it it becomes a reality for a lot of people that oh this is you it's inevitable you can't really stop it from happening right so there's definitely a shift in the cultural aspect of it for me personally as well um, but I've definitely geared it more towards the, because I've basically been, I've basically been in Canada for what, like 14, 15 years now. So I've more adapted to that culture than I am in Pakistan. And I'm sure it's going to be different when I go back and use these, all these best techniques, like the touch as well. We don't really do that. Eye contact, we don't do that, which are big things that I find um, patients really appreciate. Right. Mm -hmm. So definitely a disconnect in the cultural aspect of it, but I think you just adapt, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to clarify, you'd mentioned that some of your patients stay with you for a very long time. I'm assuming that's the palliative patient and not mm -hmm. the oophorectomy and the oophorectomies. Yeah. <laughs> just for those who maybe don't know. <laughs> yeah, unless there's a complication, it's usually our oncology patients that will come back, usually with small bowel obstruction or just mm -hmm. failures with rise sorts of things right so yeah yeah so with all the emotional nursing that you do how do you keep yourself feeling refreshed every day to go back I know you're in a different area currently but let's kind of go back to that because it was your first area that you worked in primarily I think uh, like I mentioned earlier just talking about it with the other nurses on the unit I found quite helpful and then I try my best to kind of leave things at work when I come home I try and do certain things that like I really like yoga I'm really into sports so I'm trying to do those things that um, kind of get my mind off of it because I found when I first started I found that I would dwell on it oh like I lost a patient um, but and there was a patient that I was really close to that I had gotten to know, I had known as a student. And then when I started working, I had her as a patient and she had deteriorated quite a bit to the point that she didn't know who she was. She was in pain all the time. So when she passed away, it did really hit me hard. Mm -hmm. um, but over time I did like spiritual care was amazing. I got to talk to um, some of the spiritual care nurses and um, just with with the, with the patients that we get I think it's been really beneficial just to talk to other staff we get a little debrief we kind of shed some tears um, we actually had a really bad year and the manager let us light a candle for and think about a patient that we wanted to light the candle for 
Oh, we all that's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Because we had a really rough year. I think it was last year or the year before. So that was really helpful just to kind of debrief and get things off of your mind as well, right? Yeah, and kind of give the honor and the respect that you feel like you want to do in that moment. That's beautiful. Exactly. So I honestly found that very beneficial and I try and do that. And sometimes just talking about it as well, right? It helps quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I agree. I'm a talker too, but not everybody is. <laughs> yeah, not everyone is. And you just have to figure out what works for you. Uh, and my husband's not a talker. So, you know, that's why I need you guys. <laughs> That's All right, well, let's divert now into thoracics, quite a deviation from women's health. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about thoracics and what your typical population is there and the things you got to see that were different. So I think it was just shocking with how many chest tubes were there because prior to, uh, right? Yeah. So I remember the first two days I had a guy with four chest tubes, two on one side, two on the other side. I was like, how are you alive with four chest tubes? <laughs> we think that they can't possibly be. And he was this little man as well, skinny as a bone. And he's got four chest tubes coming on. And he used an epidural, Foley, all that stuff, right? So anything you can think of, he had it. Um, I think it was just terrifying. And I think it's important to say that this is unit nursing. This is not ICU. This is not nope. emergency. This is on the unit where, yeah. that, you know, for those who are new to nursing, to be preparing that it's not going to be just oxygen on the face. No. There's and lines and, and a lot of things going on with your patient that you have to manage. Exactly. And you have to, there's a lot of, uh, I was going to say, just kind of figuring out what's going on, what's wrong, because you got to monitor the chest tubes every hour, uh, figure out if there's an air leak, where the air leak's coming from, if it's draining from the site, how much is the output, how's your breathing, if they've got... Um, emphysema, all those sorts of things, right? Like, why do they have a chest tube? Do they have a pneumothorax? Do they have a hemothorax type of thing? So it's just a lot. Embryema, yeah, right? So it's just like a lot of things that you need to take into consideration. So it definitely was more critical thinking than I was used to in women's because, like I had mentioned earlier, it was ABCs, right? So in the back of my mind, I was always going through ABCs. And one of the big things, actually, when I was your student in uh, MedSurge was doing the uh, safety checks. Mm-hmm. So oxygen suction, it, it, it plays a big <laughs> role in thoracics. So first thing I would do when I go in was do my safety checks um, as I'm talking to the patient, have the blood pressure going. Uh, but it's definitely shocking in comparison. I didn't expect it to be, I knew it was going to be acute because of it is being thoracics, but I didn't expect it to, for them to have so many tubes, like an NG tube, a J tube, they're on two feeds and they've got a Foley, all these sorts of things, right? Yeah, there is a mm-hmm. lot to consider. Yes, very much so. Do you get so. all the um, tuberculosis? Do you get those on your floor as well? Or that's maybe medicine, I suppose? Not necessarily. I don't think I've had a patient with uh, um, TB. It's just more so of esophagectomies. So esophageal cancers, all sorts of different, or um, lots of gen surge patients as well on the unit because it is overflow for gen surge. Yeah. Um, but majority of it has been, I think the heavier patients are definitely the esophagectomies. I know we had a guy who they use part of the colon um, as part of, uh, to replace the esophagus. And he was there for how long? I was there for five months and he was there for five months, didn't eat, didn't drink and peel the entire time. So wow. that's an yeah. expensive surgery. Was it complications? Yeah. Lots and lots of complications. Um, he kept having to go back and forth. He went into respiratory rest multiple times. So back to ICU and to us. So we were, he used to joke and say, I've seen every bed on the unit because he'd been pretty much on every bed on the unit at that yeah. point. Yeah. So lots of complication from the surgery just because of how critical it is, right? So mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What's the typical length of stay, do you think, for the patients in thoracics? Is it um, like less than a week, more than a week? It depends. So with our esophagectomies, I would definitely say it's been over a week. Unless I don't, yeah, I don't think I've had a case where they've gone home before a week, usually months or so. Um, Were there other ones who are just there for a wedge resection or a biopsy or um, a pneumothorax, hemothorax? Even uh, our uh, MPI meds usually stay a little bit longer, but they can certainly go home with a certain type of chest tubes as well. Um, But with some of them, the stay can be as little as two days. So, yeah. yeah. Not quite as a high turnover because it sounds like there'd be a bit of a mix of all those, but Mm -hmm. uh, definitely within, you know, a set of shifts, you would see some new patients in there. Definitely. There's been days where I had four people with chest tubes. Everybody's clamped in the morning. Uh, They all go for chest x-rays. Six hours later, they go for a chest x-ray again to see the progress. Chest tube's out, you can go home. So I've had to discharge four and gotten four admissions as well on a shift. So it's definitely a lot more high turnover than what people would think because people always assume it's part of like medicine because you're on two feeds and such, right? Mm -hmm. But you definitely, you do have those patients who are there for simple things like wedge resection or thoroscopy or, you know, like little things like that, right? Which you believe that you're saying those are simple things. I know. I know. That's what I was just saying. That's what I was going to say. I'm like, "Ah, they're not little to most people, I guess. Uh, I, I love the perspective change. You know, you've gone from being a student studying all the stuff and thinking, oh my gosh, that's intense, that's wild. And now you're like, oh, it's just a minor thing. It's Exactly. It's fantastic. It is, yeah. I know before I used to be terrified of chest tubes. Now I've had to, even my in my preceptorship at the moment, they had a chest tube and uh, it was an emergency nurse. And she's like, oh, you, I heard you know chest tubes. Can you walk me through it? So I went and did the assessment with her. So it just goes to show that your experience will apply at some point. And, you know, even if you work emergency, it doesn't mean you know everything and you've seen everything. Absolutely. Yeah. For my first time on the floor as the nurse, in all of my four years, because I did the bachelor program, in all my four years, I never had a patient that I had to bed bath. I never had a total care patient, like oh, where I had wow. to physically roll them. I could help them and stuff like that, but I didn't have to do it all. Yeah. And so how am you know? I kind of felt a little embarrassed when I was finally the nurse and I had this total care patient. I'm like, I don't know how to dress them. I don't know how to roll them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it, that's the thing, right? Once you're used to it, once you've done it once, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and I like that you brought that up, that even though she was an RN, she's from Emerge, the the education and the initials behind your name do not preclude that you are foregone, for, foregone knowledgeable in these particular areas. Like everybody Definitely. has experiences and that's what prepares you to nurse. And so if you've Definitely. never seen a chest tube, or if you haven't worked with one in a few months, they're intimidating. You want to make sure, because airway, as you said, mm-hmm. <laughs> top of the list, you want to make sure you got it right. And I think it's fantastic that they recognize your experience and expertise and brought you in on that. Yeah, and it was more shocking because, I mean, at this point, I'm a student on the unit, right? So for them to kind of ask for my help, even with NGs, because I said NGs and two feeds with the new machines, I said I have lots of experience with that stuff. And um, a lot of the staff were willing to ask me for help, which was eye-opening for me as well, because I didn't expect that, which I was more worried about when going into the preceptorship that nobody was going to consider my experience and they were going to treat me like a brand spanking new nurse, right? So it was definitely nice to see that. I want to thank Huma for sharing and being so open about her experiences from Pakistan to Canada, the fears of being accepted and time management and everything in between as it relates to nursing on multiple different floors. 
Now, if you would like to hear more about after the taping, join Huma and I at FrontlineNursingPodcast.com and become a member today and you will get a free quick start pack with your membership. Huma is going to be sharing how she has navigated the transition from LPN to BN while working full-time in just two and a half years. Very exciting. Join us there. And until next time, if you have a story you'd like to share, email me at info at and make it a great day.